Aloha, and welcome to another Candid Conversation. Today we're joined by Sarah Hanks, and we have a subject that's near and dear to my heart from my old industrial engineering days. Sarah wrote a blog that's going up tonight on process mapping. So Sarah, welcome. Good day. Glad to see you. And here we go. Aloha. It's good to be here. What in the heck for the unclean, unwashed, is process mapping? <laughs> well, I think, you know, just simply, it's every everything that you do, whether it's in your day-to-day life or is part of a task at your job, you're trying to accomplish something, an output. And process mapping is really identifying all of the things that need to happen between what, when that process needs to start and you deliver that final output. Yeah, and in, in my era, it was called industrial engineering. It still is. And we used to do process flowcharts, which is a very mm-hmm. similar thing, much more rudimentary than the tools that we have today. But process mapping is I think it's absolutely critical. And the reason I say that is if you go back to the 80s and the Japanese arrivement of the total quality management, uh, continuous quality improvement, whatever, that was almost revolutionary. And yet it's been around for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese term of Kaizen continually improving something every day, even if it's one one hundredth of a percent, as a cultural truth, is totally different than America. Yeah. We, we, we teach people how to do things and say, okay, get faster, fewer mistakes, congratulations. But we never really get down to, why do we do that? <laughs> no. It's true, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely true. And I think, you know, I think, even stuck in status quo, what I've seen is people don't even necessarily follow the same standard to begin with. And so status quo is defined as chaos and everybody's doing things a little bit differently. And imagine all of the waste buried in all of that. Um, you know, for example, taking a, a project through our business process, right? And every person that you ask you get a different answer on what is required, you know? So, it, so how, how, how do you, how do you initiate these things? How do you, how do you get a company, a business, a department, an individual's attention saying, Hey, George, you really need to do this. How, how do you get, how do you stimulate the interest? Well, I think it starts with, well, at least in my practice, there's, an understanding that a change is needed, right? I think, and I mean, I know we talked about like people being stuck in status quo, but um, it anytime we've been doing one of these, there's usually a reason to want to do things differently. Yeah, I call um, those triggers. Yeah, trigger. Maybe they're maybe you're late delivering product to the customer, right? Maybe there's a shortage and you have to figure out how to deal with it. Maybe there's absolutely trigger is perfect word. Um, so there's an, an identified need, and and where I like to start is getting people to understand. Well, how are you doing it today? And that's generally 
what starts the conversation then around process mapping, because I think if you don't know where you're starting, it's really hard to get cleanly to where you're going. Yeah. And also you solve problems that aren't problems necessarily, right? You might have a trigger, let's say you're late and you have a assumption that the reason why you're late delivering product to your customer is um, the equipment's down, the manufacturing equipment's down. But maybe that's not the root cause. Maybe the root cause is something completely different. So you end up wasting time and money fixing problems that aren't true. And I don't know how you can scope a problem to solve or to understand the red X until you understand what your current state looks like. And that starts with process mapping. So in essence, if I could wave a wand, if you could wave a wand, we would want to have every process of every business mapped with precision in yeah. great detail. Absolutely. So Who's supposed we, to do it? So if we went into an organization, instead of looking for a policy manual or a procedure manual, I want to see the process map store. I think a process map is going to tell it a lot easier than a manual will. <laughs> I, I, I agree. A visual is always easier. Uh, so, so you get a company, something somebody identifies a problem. Mm-hmm. And we're agreeing we're going to go forward and do this. Who, who should be involved? Um, well, I think that a representative from every role, function, person who's in that process, who has a step that's um, responsible to execute a step of the process needs to be involved. So can I call them owners? Yeah, I would say process owner. Well, generally, I like to think of an owner of a process as being like who owns the output, but there's handoffs and along the way. Um, so as long as it's clear on what the definition of owner means, it's at a step level, um, not at the overall level. Obviously, the overall owner, the person who is accountable to the output of a process should champion it. Yeah. yeah. But they so, need to solicit input from others, too. So, so we start having different jargon. So we have process owners of steps. We have process owners of the business process. Mm-hmm. And then we have champions who are going to be the folks that we're going to rely on to implement. Is that a fair? Yeah, they're going to be the ones to hold the team accountable to implementing the change. Okay, so we come in, we've identified there's a problem. We're going to identify that we're going to solve the problem by doing process mapping. We've identified the people that are going to be involved in the in the deal. Um, and it could be a large crowd. Could be five, it could, people, be. could be 10 people, could be 20 people, depending on how big yeah. the process is. Do you try and limit the size of the audience that you're dealing with? I, by limit, I, well, there's two ways you can limit. It's, it's hard to control a room of 20 people and getting inputs. It. It's really hard. Um, I, I don't know if I've had like a hard cap, but I do try to limit either based on scope, right? You can say, oh, we're going to process map our business and that's pretty broad and you're going to involve a lot of people. But if you narrow down the scope to, you know, what is the start, what's the end? I, I don't know if you've um, heard of this, a SIPOC or a COPUS. <laughs> you know, if you have a defined, like, what's, where do you want to start? What are your inputs? 
And then what are your outputs and your customer? If you define that small enough, you can control the size of the room that way. But then also you, you probably don't need multiple representatives of the same function. You can bring in somebody to act on behalf of the team or provide input. So one of the things that you, you bring up is we should have a glossary of terms, shouldn't we? Oh, for sure. Acronym city. I am the worst of jargon. <laughs> it's, you know, we, were, we were just talking with a school this morning about classes and curriculums, and we have a reading list at the front end. And one of the, the, the one of the deans that I was talking with said, you know, I need a glossary of terms because there's so much jargon here. Yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to put that as part of the reading list at the beginning, and I, I need to make it compulsory now because we don't want to have them misunderstand what that term means. He said, that's sure. excellent. So I said, do you mind if I make it compulsory? He said, no, no, they, it, it should be. Well, so, and then also accessible, right? Like you could turn in, you know, I'm thinking about, oh, I don't remember that term. Maybe maybe it's hard for me to memorize and retain. You know, you could use a chat bot as, you know, a way to quick query the. Exactly. So, so now we have, you know, can I help you a little bubbles floating all over the place? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting. So we have a glossary of terminology so that we don't get lost in jargon. We limit the audience by how we define the scope of the project. Yeah. I try not to have more than a dozen. Yeah, I would have said 10, but yeah. Yeah, okay. And the reason I dozen is dirty dozen. I always have to have some kind of, <laughs> you know, anchor on which I can hang things, but it, it, um, okay. So that crew, every process in my view needs to have a goal statement. Yeah. What does this process do? Yes. What I don't think we've done. I don't think in my process mapping, I've been clear on making sure the goal is defined up front. And I think that's excellent. It's well, it, it's I, I think we mentioned I mentioned this when we started our chat this today. I use the term guidelines instead of policies. And the guideline is um, campaigns, for instance, uh, when we run a campaign, here's a description, two, three, four paragraphs of what we mean by the campaign. OK, who owns the campaign? The person responsible, your process owner. Then. Is there a financial implication? If not, if there is, what is it? Is there a efficiency? What's the metric? Mm -hmm. Who owns it? Who can yeah. make changes? What data is involved? What formulas? Da, 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 da. And when was it last reviewed? So that there's clarity. Yeah. And it always confused me. Because like you said, you go into a process mapping, six people do the job and they all do it differently. Chaos mm -hmm. is a perfect word, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. And, and what we're trying to do with the process mapping is also identify the skills that are required for the tasks within the process. True? Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. I don't think we do a very good job at that. Well, no, it's just like it's just like your blog that was released um, this morning on getting to a job description, right? I mean, you have a, a process, you have a clearly defined goal of the process. And yeah, to your point, there's things that need to happen along the way. And what does it take to do it? And that's your skills. And then how do you design your jobs to be around the skills instead of around the tasks? It's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't, even in your manufacturing days, the job wasn't around skills, was it? 
We not unless the, you are specialized. Not unless you're spe- if you are specialized, I would say it's skill oriented. But and in the case of the specialization, though, the skills that you acquired were given to you by the person who trained you. Correct. Yeah, that's true. And there were no native skills required to facilitate or accelerate the training. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, it 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 it's it's kind of upside down. Yeah. It, it, it's um. You know, we have SAT tests and ACT tests and all manner of different IQ tests and EQ tests and personality profiles, all kinds of things. But we we really don't get down to what are your latent skills. You have really good organizational skills. You have really good interpersonal skills. You have really good analytical skills. We don't know a lot about that, do we? No. No. I haven't seen tests that get into that level, too, until... I. I think maybe a year and a half ago, I found a skills assessment test that actually was structured that way. And I've been around for a long time and, you know, that's the first I've ever seen it. People, people say that about our assessments, especially in the education community that, you know, we have a 96 question, multiple choice assessment of the job function skills. And, and they, they say, wow, nobody's ever done this before. And of course they have, but we, we, we don't find it's not generically used. Yeah. Okay. So we got the owner, we got the problem, we got the process identified, we're going to play with, we got the team, we know who's going to be the champion. What do you do? Well, before, oh, I like to get, my preference is to get everybody in a room. I've tried this the virtual way. Um, It's okay, but there's nothing that can replace like, the natural chemistry that happens when you get everybody in a room to talk. Um, you can see body language. You can identify if someone's frustrated, like it's just more effective to be together. So that's going to require scheduling time. Um, and so that is a hurdle in itself at times because you've got to take people out of their jobs for a long enough period of time. I'd say four hours minimum it could be eight hours or even two days, depending on the scope. Um, and so getting something on the calendar, getting everybody's leaders, if it's necessary to buy in and excuse their time, I think that's that's got to happen. And then between like the time you schedule and the time you have the event, I think it's important to do pre-work. And what I see is pre-work, if you is you need to have something to start off of instead of going in with a blank sheet of music. Because if you, um, when facilitating a discussion like this, ask people their opinion, you're it's going to go all over the place. And it's really hard to like hurt cats. <laughs> um, so I like to go in with rough draft. And my favorite tool to go in with a rough draft is, um, it's another acronym. It's a, called a RACI chart or a RASCI chart. Um, I define it the GE way, which was, you know, R is who's responsible for doing a step. Um, the S is who's supportive. A is approver, although in a lot of documentation, that's, they say accountable, but that's confusing to me because if you're responsible, you're accountable. So why? I didn't understand the difference. Um, and then I is inform and C is consult. And if you have at least a rough draft of what are the process steps and who is responsible and how they can, or needs to contribute to this 
and how. Um, to me, that at least gets you a place to start and it makes the conversation a lot more structured and and less wandering because you have a place you can return to. One of the things I find intriguing about what you do is that I don't believe there's a lot of people out there doing this. And I believe that this is absolutely critical. It has been critical, but going forward, it's going to be even more critical. And with and, and we've talked about this with, with COVID, we compressed um, people's thinking, uh, hopefully, um, working from home as, as, a, as an acronym, um, as causing all kinds of angst problems for people. Really, the only folks that can work from home are in major corporations. You know, a mechanic has to go to the job. An accountant has to go to the job. Somebody making food has to go to the job. There's no question about those things. Right. The big corporation jobs that can be done from home, I would submit to you that those are the first jobs that are going to be replaced with robotics. That's an interesting point. You know, so so yeah. process, process becomes even more critical down that end. Absolutely. You know, robots can do an awful lot of things, and robots in a manufacturing circumstance can do an awful lot of things, but there's limits. Right. And unless we get serious about what that process is, we're we're going to make big mistakes. Make a well, mistake with a robot, it's going to be a very costly mistake. If Even with the – if you're – looking to implement some kind of robotic process automation to replace transactional work. If you don't have a clear understanding of the process and what happens when things don't go to plan and how often, like you're going to spend a lot of time implementing and money implementing these bots, right? And they're not going to be effective. So you have to understand how do you, how does work get done <laughs> at the nitty gritty detail level? Guys, one of the things that I have a strong belief in is you slow everything down at the front to speed everything up at the back. You do your planning, you do your detail work. And if you've got it all done, everything is easy. If you yeah. don't have it done, like you say, implementation becomes an unbelievable mess. I've experienced it. Oh, so I've I, experienced it. it's not fun. It's no. not fun. It, uh, so what do you have any tools that you use to facilitate the process mapping? Like do you do wall burning or, you know, any, anything along that line, or have you got any tricks that make it easier? So I think um, I'm a big fan of post-it notes, paper, and um, the, I even have a kit that I've made that has um like an icon that represents how things are done within a process step, right? Like if you're doing, if you're sending an email in that step, I have an email icon. If you have a, you know, something to help visualize like every step of the journey, what are you doing and how do you convey what that looks like in an easy way? I think colors, assuming that, you know, it, I, I'm not sure what the guidelines are on color blindness or anything like that, but um, I do use colors to denote different roles or functions in a process. That way you can clearly see who's doing what. Um, icons that represent, oh gosh, there's a lot of waste in this step of the process or we have a lot of rework. You know, a big red 
you know, starburst um, we would use to help identify that. And then we digitize it usually. And there's tools out there that help digitize processes pretty easy. In in my day, we used to call them process flowcharts. Mm-hmm. We had five icons, you know, decisions, you know, yeah. file. Yeah, here's, a, here's a process block. Here's a. So, you know, you can monetize that. You know that. <laughs> I have a, a printable. <laughs> it's it's a tool yeah. that, that facilitates the process. The, you know, culturally, the difference between Japan and, and ourselves on Kaizen and not. Uh, if I could wave a wand and, and, and satisfy a dream of mine that we'd have the same process improvement culture here that they do in Japan and that everybody in a company would be tasked with, asked to identify what I, I call sacred cows. Is there something you do that doesn't make any sense? Yeah. Or I, I flip it. I, I have a thing I call five things. Give me five things that would make your life easier in your job. Give me five things that are a pain in the butt to do in your job. <laughs> Give me five things that'll make your job more productive for the company. Yeah. So we got three different areas, five steps each, and I do this in groups. And at the end of the day, two or three of the five things are common on all. <laughs> and you know what my question is going to be. If it's good for you, good for the company, and it's a pain for you to do, why don't you fix it? Yeah. We don't have that motivation in our organizations. I wonder if it's, I mean, I've done a lot of, we used to call them transactional lean events at GE, right? And we'd get in a room and everybody would sit and we'd map through, we identify all this waste and uh, brainstorm ideas for solutions. And then a lot of times things didn't happen afterwards and it boiled down to like cost because there wanted to be an investment in technology because software fixes a lot of this stuff. Um, but in the, you know, 2005 to 2015, like software is expensive. Um, I wonder how much like not being able to fix it because there wasn't options to do it cheaply, people lost a distaste or something else happened. And I, I feel like in what I've seen in the culture is just like being told no over and over again, people stop trying. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, and that, I think it's an upbringing thing too, it, you know, in our families, uh, do this, don't do that. And we're trying to protect the child. Mm-hmm. Then we get to school, do this, don't do that. <laughs> we're, we're trying to accelerate the, the learning. And, and I've often said, it's the troublemaker I want to pay attention to. The individual is saying, well, why are you doing that? That's crazy. I want to hear what's in their head. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, the, the, it's too expensive to fix a problem. That's a horrible answer. It's, it's a horrible answer because there's always an easy way. You can yeah. always make an incremental improvement for free somehow. <laughs> exactly. But the other side of that is that that goes back to is your employee an asset or an expense? Yeah. They're assets. We want to have them do the things that can't be done by anybody else. 
And we don't know what those things are just yet. And unless we do a process map, we have no idea what functions are out there. It's kind of remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So we've sold things. We start with a cart. A couple hundred years ago with produce from the farmer. We go out in the street and stand on the corner and sell my apples and corn or whatever the devil it might be. Now we got a supermarket. <laughs> the cost of food, 50% of it is transportation. It's 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 weird. You process map that sucker oh, or any yeah. supply chain issue, yeah. or particularly now with supply chain issues. What are we doing? I don't know. We've been doing this stuff forever, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. And it's I think um, you know, one of the things people don't think about is that queue time or that the time things are not happening right? Like an action is supposed to happen and it's not happening and really understanding why what's, what's driving that. Is it lack of information? Is it lack of motivation? Is it, you know, I, I think identifying and exposing those things, you could probably reduce a lot of your lead time issues and supply chain issues. It's not going to help your transportation cost side of it. Um, but certainly cycle time can be impacted if, people took action when action needed to be taken, right? Or that they were handed the ball, the baton, right? Um, to take the next action and they they don't. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to not invest money necessarily, but just make sure that the right trigger to take the next step is obvious. It, you know, I, I sometimes use parallels of airports. And, and let's just think of Dallas, Fort Worth or Chicago or New York or L.A., major airports, Paris, Tokyo. And you and I are going to start a competitor. And we're going to build an airport 50 miles from DFW. And we're going to compete with DFW. Where in the world do you start? That spider web is so complex. Yeah. Um, rental cars and hotels. The story that I can reserve a car, a specific car, before I get there, and they got these cars all over the darn place, and I'll be able to go to a specific location and find the car, and then you go across the street to the hotel, and they can't find the room that you've reserved. And the room doesn't move. <laughs> right? no there's set number it doesn't change <laughs> how, how the heck do we get there and again isn't that a process deal absolutely you know the the uh, my wife got really cranky after 9-11 and didn't want to go anywhere near france because of their resistance to our desire for help and we finally went to paris after a long number of years and we get to the hotel and we're greeted. The guy comes out to the, the taxi and sees us. And I'd been there before. He says, well, welcome back, Mr. Slee. Good to see you. You're in room 1402. That's and my awesome. wife looks at this guy and looks at me and says, what in the hell happened to the people in Paris? That never used to happen before. Again, it's, it's the recognition of a problem. And then somebody spent the time to determine what the process was and what the changes need to be. And the champion was going to be named and it was going to be implemented. And 
that person would ride off into the sunset and go do it somewhere else. Yeah. Which is what we do with process mapping. Mm -hmm. So you've been in private practice how long now? Uh, private practice, how? <laughs> working freelance with different oh. companies? Well, working freelance, that's been uh, since COVID, 2020. Okay. Every single client I've ever had needs process mapping. And very rarely have I been successful at getting companies to map processes. Hmm. How successful have you been? Well, with our software, um, we do it 100% when we go to a customer. Um, because I think it's it does a few things. It gets everybody on the same page of how things are supposed to go. And I'm trying to sell software to digitize a lot of what's there. So it gets everybody aligned on the same page. It exposes the waste in the current state, which helps me identify where the software will provide value to eliminate the waste. Um, and then, you know, even I'm on a um, board of a nonprofit um, and they want to change their CRM. So I facilitated process mapping even with them just to do those things, right? Like you think changing to a new CRM or new IT platform that, that should bring about value or whatever. But if you don't understand what your current state looks like, where the wastes are, how do you know that you're going to get that return on investment too? So, so you introduced your software for a second. Why don't you take a moment and explain to us exactly what that software does for you, what you're using it for, why you're using it and, uh, give people a better idea of what, what it does. Okay. So our software platform is, it's a mechanism for companies to interface with their suppliers in a way um, that's collaborative. It's clear on who is supposed to do what step. And it informs you what, you know, when you're supposed to take that next step so you can actually speed things up. Um, if you're a manufacturer and you're bringing a new product line to market, behind the scenes, there's a lot that happens, especially with your suppliers. You need to make sure they know what to make, that they're making it out of the right material, that they're producing parts correctly. And with a new, when you're bringing a new product to market, nothing's perfect. So there's rework that happens in the design which then has to trickle back down to the supply chain. Um, and so our platform makes it easy to understand where things are at in the process, who owns it, triggering the next action, and it helps that time to market speed up. So you have a, a big data collection element that ties to the software, correct? Um, not yet. Okay. Yeah. That's the it's next a, step? <laughs> That's a, yeah, it's an iterative development for sure. But my intent is to put the analytics into the platform, right? So like some suppliers are better than others and people are making decisions on what to buy from whom. Um, so if we had AI assisted decisions, right? Like I, I'm going to recommend that you do this route instead of this route, you might actually have better decisions and then less rework, less, you know, better on time delivery. 
Um, and just just so that we yeah. just so you and I don't get caught, AI is artificial intelligence. You're letting the computer make that conclude come to conclusions, make recommendations for you. Make recommendations. I don't want to take. I think humans still should have some say, right? <laughs> for a forward-thinking person, you're behind the curve on that one. There's there's <laughs> a there's a new AI-driven computer program that plays chess that for five years has yet to be beaten. And all they, the computer was taught were the moves of the chess pieces. Nothing else. No games. Nothing was loaded. Like Big Blue had every single game loaded. And that's mm-hmm. how they beat Kasparov because they could process all of what he had in his head yeah. faster. This time doesn't matter. They're coming up with arcane approaches that are just, what are you doing there? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, really, really radical. I don't think we're ready yet in the human side of things. Chess is a nice exercise. It can prove the point. But to make a determination, we're going to go from Farmer Bob to Farmer Joe because the quality of his kernel on his corn is better based on analytics. I don't think we're there yet. No, I don't think, and I don't, there's exceptions too. Like you may have a reason that you would not go with the recommendation. Right. So I think having that final say, um, it's still important for multitude of reasons. One, the data isn't good enough to automate the decision. You know, there's going to be messy data that's going to make it inaccurate in some cases, I think. And also from a change management standpoint, like as soon as you start talking about taking that decision making away, um, oh boy, you won't have any support. Like that's right. Yeah, you're going to take away the bread and butter. The the other thing is typically we don't have enough data points. We don't have enough data. No. You know, the yeah. it's it's the old <laughs> encountered that too. Yeah, it's yeah. the old bus on curve that 90% of the activity is in the in the outer leg of the graph. Yeah. It, it's um so in manufacturing, uh process mapping is reasonably straightforward. And a lot of continuous improvement projects uh did the manufacturing base. Distribution is slightly different maybe a little bit more complex because you've got disparate locations, disparate functions, maybe even disparate corporations. Um, People need to have the ability to see that something in manufacturing would work in distribution or something in manufacturing or distribution would work in selling. Like CRM is is a good case in point. Somebody bought a car 10 years ago. It's got 150,000 miles. Maybe somebody should be in touch with them saying, hey, don't you think you want to change your car? Yeah. We don't do that today. (laughs) Alex Kraft, who is part of Heave, and he writes, he's got a software package that puts buyers and sellers together. So a, a customer says, I want this. And salesmen that subscribe to Alex's service are a part of it get an email saying George over there is looking for something kind of simple take right? the geography out of it. It really does. It really does. I'm, I'm excited about process mapping. 
Um, and I, I like your illustration of post-it notes. So if, if I want to have somebody who's listened to this do a process map with post-it notes and, and forgetting about the ADA type of circumstance, colors and shapes are dynamic tools that you can see. And I'm going to get those post-it notes. And I'm going to put them all around the room, right? And that's the nice thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going. That's pretty easy to do. Yeah. And you started to say the nice thing. Well, I was going to say. Um, so when when I do process mapping and we're trying to drive a change, we go through an exercise called waste identification. Um, and when you identify waste, it's really um, important to start with traditional brainstorming techniques where people do the brainstorming silently and the post-it notes are really useful to transfer that knowledge from a person's head onto the board in a way that's respectful of everybody's, you know, it's respectful because if you're the quiet introvert, you still have an equal voice. Um, And once the wastes are all identified on the process map, you can see clusters yeah, you, you talked about that earlier, right? With the, the questions and you have the same issue across <laughs> all three buckets, right? You see those clusters um, and then you can you can group the clusters of waste together to do proposals. And that's what I call the aha moment. They look at this and say, why didn't we see that? Yeah. It happens a lot that way, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's a remarkable truth. We've been doing these things for so long. And when we go back and revisit it with a clean blackboard, I call it fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. We get stunned. <laughs> it's, it's, it's remarkable. The, uh, why do we do that? Because we've always done it. You know, my dad and I used to argue about shoveling snow. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to have to throw snow, I only want to throw it once. Yes. <laughs> and 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 dad had his way of doing things and i finally said look if, if you i'm not going to do it that way i'll do it all you go into the house he said no no i'm going to do it my way so i said okay see you and, and he did it himself and he was a lot older than me obviously and the only way i resolved that is i bought him a snowblower <laughs> it, it, it was so inefficient but he was so stuck on it he could never change it he was comfortable doing it that way He'd yeah. always done it that way. It was almost robotic. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and we have that with a lot of people. That's why I say, oh, my, that's as plain as the nose on my face. Why didn't we see that? Yeah. We're almost blind to it, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And same thing's true in your home. Absolutely. I'm probably, I probably have some cooking examples of inefficient ways of doing things, but it's the way I do it. <laughs> Uh, it's it's the old process that uh, one of my clients shaved his face in a different room every day to condition himself before he went to work that he was going to look at things differently. That's cool. Well, he yeah, it did, and I looked at him and said, "You're an idiot. Why do you, have to, <laughs> well, you can't. You don't need to have a visualization like that. You know, go to work and think differently. You no, know, no, I need this to." I, I, I'm not going to interfere with how people make it happen, but I want them to make yeah. it happen. He was a very successful change agent, but it, it was, uh, it, it was very, change is very hard for people. Yeah. Process mapping helps with that, I think. 
I think it does. I think it does. I mean, that's part of the outcome of process mapping in my mind is getting people to, well, A, when they participate in something, they're already committed to it in some way, shape or form, right? Whether they're a full supporter or going in resistant, after you've spent time, you want to see that change through to completion. Um, I think it exposes where all the shortcomings are in the current process. So, you know, once you see something, it's really hard to unsee it. Um, Yeah, that's really true. The other thing you mentioned earlier is that not everybody's outspoken about things. And the people, we want to give a voice to everybody. So that silence is is a really good neutralizer of, of influence. Everybody participates in that sense, and everybody is empowered in that sense. Another important feature of process mapping. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Everybody has an equal voice. You know, we it. Um, I, I did a lot of computer systems work, and I, I can't imagine designing or, or passing off a, a, an analytic process to a programmer without having really clear process mapping system flowcharts. Mm-hmm. Um, the the post-it notes is such a, an easy illustration, mm-hmm. and and maybe for everybody. Um, look at, if you've still got one, the the telephone operator, the receptionist. Mm -hmm. How does that work? And then the process that we went to, to have everybody have their own phone number. How does that work? Yeah. And the process we have now that if you don't answer your phone in X number of rings, it goes somewhere else. How does that work? Right. And and just using that as a silly example, we make iterative changes which makes it easier for us, I think, rather than the big leap. Oh, I'd agree with that for sure. So process mapping takes segments the solution. Yeah. And it it can, if you keep it up to date, right, as you go through these iterations, it, I mean, I think the more you revisit it, the more clear it is. And the more powerful that people want to continue because they're experiencing success. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Incremental is only the way to go. So with the work that you did at GE and here and the last X number of years, what would you do after process mapping? What's the next step? Is it automating it? I think it depends on the project. I've definitely automated um, as part of it. In other cases, um, there's we create what's called a Kaizen newspaper, um, which is really just an action plan with owners and due dates. And then we schedule a series of follow-up meetings, um, you know, with the champion included so that you had that person that's really going to help drive the change home and, and follow it through. So if it's not manufacturing, it's distribution. And I want you to come in and do a determination of what needs to be mapped. In other words, I don't know the problem. I'm going to give you the opportunity. Here's, here's the door. Come on in. Here's our business. I want you to snoop around and identify places where you believe we can make improvements. Where do you start? 
I would start with the top of mind problems. What's keeping somebody up at night? So you interview people As, and, and find that. Yeah. Or if there's metric, I mean, if there's already established metrics or, you know, quantifiable things, is it a revenue challenge? Is it a cost challenge? Is it, where is it a cost challenge? Um, is it inventory? You know, you have to start somewhere. So let me, let me stay there for a second. Most of those things are going to come from financial statements. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How often have you seen management reporting? as opposed to financial reporting? Ooh. That's a different ballgame, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, it always bothers me that we drive everything that we do off financials. Why don't we drive it off productivity? Why don't we drive it off market share? Why don't we drive it off uh, customer retention? And none of those are in financial statements. No. And yet they're critical to our health, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. If you don't have retention, that's the problem. Huge problem. Yeah. And it's productivity too. Um, You know, with GE's like digital transformation, um, they did a lot of the implementation internally and they would report productivity to the street. Well, there was very strict guidelines on what could be considered productivity even because it had to tie to the financials. And so if you saved every person in the company 20 hours a day, or not 20 hours a day, I'm sorry, 20 minutes a day, right? You would have a happier workforce who would be maybe a little more efficient because they get to go home a little earlier. Um, And none of that counted because it couldn't tie to the financials. It was really funny. One of the things that I've done over the years is we work with standard times on repair, just like manufacturing, right? And I, I was manic about, I'm going to give everybody eight hours of work today of standard time work. Standard time always has a buffer. Yeah. Okay, always. So what I would say to people was, I'm going to give you a choice. If you beat the standard time, I give you eight hours of labor, you're finished after seven. Do you want to be able to go home after seven? Or do you want me to give you another hour of labor? And I'll pay you nine hours today for the eight hours of work you did. Or do you want to go home after seven hours? Mm -hmm. What do you think they chose? Going home. It was remarkable. And I'm sure there were some people that would choose the extra money, I, but I would say the majority split, would be go home. It's split on demographics, Sarah, as to be expected. The younger people that have a young family need the money. They would work the extra hours. The older guys wanted to spend more time with mama or older gals, more time with papa. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. And, and until you open up that door, the owners, they looked at me, go home, you're nuts. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I want the older, more experienced, more talented guys leaving early. Yeah. And the young guys seeing them leave early saying, gee, when I grow up, I want to be like that. What do I need yeah. to do to get that? Well, that will help with uh, skill it's development. It's, it's <laughs> remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. And the same thing's true with process mapping, I believe. 
interruptions, critical. Oh. Idle time, critical. Yep. Uh, rework, critical. Mm-hmm. How do we eliminate the 20 minutes you're talking about? I, I love it. And when you say we can make a 10% improvement, think about that. It's huge. I don't know that there's anything bigger. No. You know, it, it, you know, when we got that 10% looked after, then we'll find something else that's bigger, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, what's the next step for the audience relative to process mapping? Your blog went up, goes up tonight that explains it, explains RACI and some of the other terminology used today. This discussion, I think, will help people understand where they could start. Um, any any advice you'd give at this point to say, okay, this is what you do next? I think, um, I don't, I mean, what I, what comes to mind is, um, facilitation and learning facilitation skills. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, in process mapping, having a person that's capable of controlling a room, recentering the conversation, putting items in a parking lot that you can't. Um, and then as far as the, you know, how do you wrap things up? I think, how are you measure success and then tracking and creating a plan and then tracking that to that plan to closure and then measuring this the success based on that. I'm, I'm going to change the term from facilitation to communication. Okay. And and communication skills are something that are not that common. It's kind of remarkable. We communicate with each other, talking all the time, our families, our children, our co-workers, but we don't really necessarily communicate. It's all kind of floating around up there. Um, and, and the other thing that I, you know, the top of mind, what keeps you awake at like, I think that's a brilliant approach. That might be something that you, you could focus on on another blog. What is it that motivates? What is it that initiates? What is the stimulus to get us to do a process map without you having a problem that asks you to stick your hand up? I need some help over here. Mm-hmm. What are those things that are bothering you that, you know, are hiding the problem? What keeps you up at night? That's hiding a problem. Yeah, absolutely. As a younger person, I didn't study enough. You know, that's keeping me up at night because the exam's tomorrow. Darn, you know, it's a little yeah. late now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but executives have the same d- dilemma. There's a whole bunch of things that are sitting up there. Welsh in his book, Straight from the Gut, identified that. Here, here's the red items and here's the orange items. It's like a stoplight. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that one yet. It's a good one. Peter Senge's even better. Okay. I think we've pretty well beat up process mapping you. Yeah? <laughs> um, I, I just have a couple last minute advices. Um, Go for it. <laughs> I think there's, there's there's no I don't limit anybody. Let's <laughs> let's go. I think in process mapping, something you probably won't read about in a book is um, really to pay attention to the participants and their body language. Um, I think you can identify a lot through that. Um, if somebody, you know, is 
sitting back and is just disengaged out of the conversation, you know, go a little bit deeper to try to unpack what, why they disengaged so suddenly there might be um, either a, um, they're super married to the way things are currently or something along those lines. When it comes down to communication afterwards, you may need to consider how to communicate to that specific individual. Right. Um, I think collecting records. Oh my gosh. I've seen so much over-processing with, I've created this report because somebody asked for it a hundred years ago and we still do it and nobody uses any of the information. Um, you know, I think picking and collecting that stuff along the way, um, asking questions, who's using it. <laughs> I think there are two things I would add. Yeah, it's, you know, business systems. I, I tell everybody that's involved, I want to know the frequency that the report is run and who gets it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jennifer Albright does a, a lot with um, purchasing and, and suppliers and buying. Um, I used to go into companies and say, okay, I want every company form. Have you got an inventory of the company forms? What? You know, and and then, you know, we got these 300 forms. Some of them are six-part forms. Some of them are chemical. Some of them are carbon. I mean, wait a second. You know, what, what's going on here? We There's so many things. And, and process mapping identifies a lot of that, too. Yeah. This is such an important subject. It's And, and it's one that I have a really hard time getting traction on. It Getting companies to acknowledge that, they need to have a look at how they've done things forever because it isn't necessarily the right way. Prove me wrong. You know, do the process map so you can confirm that that's the right way to do something. Yeah. Every now and again, somebody takes up the challenge and says, I hate you, Ron. <laughs> right? You see yeah. that all the time. Yeah. I wish it could become part of our, our normal way of doing things, that everything that we do, we challenge. Yeah. At some frequency, not all the time, but it's enough frequency that you stay current. Right. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. This has been great. I hope everybody who's listening has got something from this. And I look forward to having you again, Sarah, and everybody else with us again for another candid conversation. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.